Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. So uh, we've been working our way through the book of Joshua. Um, I wasn't here last week, but I gather you took a break uh, for Pentecost. Um, uh, when my son was speaking about prayer, I think I have not had a chance to have a listen to it yet, um, but I will be doing that hopefully this afternoon. Um, but we're back on Joshua again today. And uh, if you are new with us or if you have forgotten, we are thinking about how Joshua was called to lead the family of God into that place of abundance, that place of great blessing. And, and his, his calling was to lead the people of Israel into the place where they could take hold of the promises of God. And we were thinking, if you were here a couple of weeks back when I was last speaking, we were thinking about the fact that it is perfectly possible to be in a place of blessing and to know no blessing. It is perfectly possible to be in a meeting where Holy Spirit is moving with incredible power and people all around you are falling over under the weight of the glory of God and people are rolling around on the floor laughing in the joy of the Lord and people are being healed left, right and centre and you get nothing. It is perfectly possible to be in that place. I don't want to be in that place. I've been in that place, by the way. I've been in meetings where all around me, all of heaven is breaking out and I just think, well, what about me? I'm here, I'm here, pick me. And I don't want us to be in the land of promise, but not of the land of promise. I don't want us to be in that place that's flowing with milk and honey and have no milk or honey. I want to take hold of the promises of God. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen, but they're not automatic. We have to choose to take hold of them. And sometimes for the possession of the promises of God, we have to battle for them. And that's what we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago. And bless you. And I want to think a little bit more about that this morning. What does that look like? What does that look like? How do we do that? And I've got a number of verses of scripture, mainly from Joshua, but one from Matthew, that we're going to look at this morning. And I want to start with an incredible account from Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 to 15, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. There it is. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said, to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O son, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Joshua. That, by the way, is an ancient writing. It's not a, a biblical book, but many of the accounts of what happened in the story of the life of Israel were written down. 
And the book of uh, Joshua is actually referred to about four or five times in, in Scripture. So it's a, it's a what's called extra-biblical material. It's writings that there's two copies of it that exist um, that were found, one of them in the 16th century, but both been pro- proved to be fraudulent. <laughs> but actually, it's, it's a book that was it's not in existence anymore, which is why it's not in the Bible. But it was a book of writings of what had happened. It's a, an historical document. So in other words, it was an historical document that was being referred to. Okay. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Notice that. So, so this nonsense about it being an eclipse doesn't work. Because a full day generally is about 24 hours. So if we've got about 12 hours of daylight, add to that the 24 hours. In my maths, that's 36 hours. I'm looking for someone to nod at me. Thank you. Just checking my maths there. That's not an eclipse. That's the sun stopping in the middle of the sky for 36 hours. There has never been a day like it before or since. It's not an eclipse then, is it? A day when the Lord listened to man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Hallelujah. This is an account of extraordinary favor and incredible authority. Joshua had the authority to be able to say to God, would you mind just stopping the sun for a bit? Because you've given, you've given us a task to do and I need time to complete the task you've given me. How often have you prayed that there would be more hours in the day? Well, that's not what Joshua was doing. When you and I pray for more hours in the day, it's because we're trying to do things that we don't have time to do because we're actually trying to do things that we were never asked to do. If we're doing the things that God has asked us to do, there are enough hours in the day. And if you're finding that you're praying that prayer, God, I need more hours in the day, then actually you need to say, God, what is it I need to stop doing? Or how do I need to stop procrastinating and do the things you called me to do in the first place? But this was a God-given task. And Joshua knew he needed to beat the Amorites. He needed to overcome the enemy. There was an enemy that was opposing. They had to be defeated. And God had told him to do it. He did not say, oh God, would you mind actually doing this for me? He did not say, would you mind sending somebody else? He did not say, I feel ill-equipped to do it. He said, God, would you just stop the sun from from moving in the sky so that I can finish the task you have given me? This is called staying on assignment. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you do not have the luxury of walking away from something because it is hard. We are called to stay on assignment. What God has called us to do, we need to stay at it until we've completed the task. We do not have the luxury of walking away just because we feel ill-equipped. I was speaking somewhere recently, it wasn't here. 
And because this is recorded, I'm not going to say where it was. But I was speaking somewhere recently. And uh, somebody came up to me in between meetings. And I'd been talking about casting out demons. And they had a bit of a go at me about that. Not that I'd been talking about it, but they said, I don't know how to cast out demons. You're saying Jesus told us to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, all that stuff that Jesus told us to do. I don't know how to do it. I feel ill-equipped. My response may to some appear to have been flippant. I said to her, start by telling them to leave. And I, I began to talk to her about the authority that you have in the name of Jesus. But it's actually not that flippant. We, we decide not to do things in the kingdom because we feel, well, I can't do that. That's above my pay grade. I'm not called to that. I'm, I'm not called to heal the sick. I'm, I'm not called to preach the gospel. I'm not called to cast out demons. I'm not called to raise the dead. I'm called to be an accountant. I'm called to be a teacher. I'm called to be a, a worship leader. I'm, I'm called to be a bread maker, whatever it might be. No, no, you are not. You might be called to be an accountant who raises the dead and casts out demons and heals the sick and proclaims the gospel. You might be a teacher who is called to cast out demons and raise the sick. And no, that's not right, is it? Heal the sick and raise the dead and proclaim the gospel. We are all called to do the things of the kingdom. Jesus never once said, some of you, It wasn't a great suggestion. It's a great commission. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And if we're not doing it, we're not following Jesus. Because he did it every day. He didn't wake up some days and say, sorry, Father, don't much feel like raising the dead today. Don't much feel like healing the sick today. Yes, he had those days where he said, today I want to dwell in the Father's presence all day so that tomorrow I'm equipped to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. But he didn't say, I don't feel like doing it today. Why do we overcomplicate everything? My, my gospel is quite straightforward. Do what Jesus did. Do what he told you to do die and go to heaven. That's quite straightforward. But we overcomplicate everything. Question for you. What would the point be of God asking you to do something he already knows you can do? If it's not too hard for you, you don't need faith. And you're never going to grow. If you're only doing the things that you already know how to do, what's the point? You're not going to grow. The church is not going to grow. And other people are not going to be blessed. The trouble is, most of us are control freaks. 
And, and if things aren't happening the way we want, we're not comfortable. We, we, we won't submit to other people because that's not a culturally thing. You know, we don't do that in this culture. We're a terribly individualistic society. We, we won't do the things that actually we feel are either beneath us or the things that are too hard for us. So that kind of leaves us a fairly narrow window of what we're prepared to do. So that's why it's almost impossible to find anybody in a church who is willing to clean the toilets. I guarantee you, if Jesus were here with us in bodily form now, he would be the first one on the toilet cleaning rotor. He washed poo off the disciples' feet. Why is it that we can't get anyone to clean the toilets? Well, it's beneath us. Far too busy for that. I never heard Jesus say that. Why is it we find it very hard to get people to get out on the streets and share the gospel and pray for the sick? That's a bit too hard. That's below me, but that's too hard. I'm okay in this little window here. This little window means I come to church on a Sunday, unless I'm you know, busy, and I'll sit in the congregation, and I'll stay sitting very uncomfortably, and they are really low, these seats, and they're bad for my back, and that is a sacrifice. Which is true. <laughs> I grant you that. Why do you think I preach? I don't want to sit there for that long. But you get my point. What does your serving God actually cost you? We are called to radical obedience. Radical obedience. We're not called to just say, well, I'm going to do what I feel comfortable doing. I'm going to give so long as I don't miss it of my time or my money. That's not sacrificial. And unless it hurts you, it's not sacrificial. Unless you can feel it, it's not sacrificial. And I'm talking not just about money, although I'm talking about money. I'm talking, how did you do that? You went through that door. <laughs> I'm talking about your time as well. Your gifts. Unless you're putting yourself out of your comfort zone. It is not sacrificial. Jesus sacrificed everything for you. And he calls you to pick up your cross and to follow him. We're called to radical obedience. But never forget that radical obedience has to be relational. Otherwise, it's religious. You see, I don't want any of us to be doing stuff just because we feel we ought to. If we start to do things because we feel we ought to, that's religion. If, if there's a sense of unhealthy obligation about the things we feel called to do, that's religion. And religion is dead and it binds people and it is dangerous and Jesus came to break it. It has to be relational. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter seven. This is Jesus towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's been talking about what it means to be blessed and then he's been talking about prayer and he taught them the Lord's Prayer, which I'll come back to in a moment. And then he was giving a bit of a warning about sheep in wolves' clothing. That's not right, is it? Yes, it is. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Got that the wrong way around. Doing really well this morning. 
Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says this. This is the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are strong words. But what Jesus is effectively saying is, if you're going to call me Lord, it'll be demonstrated by your obedience. You cannot, friends, you cannot call him Lord and not obey him. If you call him Lord and you do not obey him, he will say to you, I never knew you. So what is the will of God? Well, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven. That is the will of God, that the will of God would be done here, even as it is there. That the reality of that world would change the reality of this world. That's the will of God. That the reality of heaven, where our citizenship lies, the reality of heaven might change our reality here on earth. Every other assignment, every other commission, every other command that Jesus gave is an expression of that. That the reality of heaven might change the reality here on earth. He became specific. He sent them out in pairs. He said, don't do stuff on your own. Don't be a loose cannon. Always have accountability. He sent them out and said, go find people of peace and speak peace over them. And if you're speaking to someone and they won't give you peace, it'll come back to you. Because there's people like that all around you. And when you find those people, just shake the dust off your feet. Don't waste your time on them. That's what he said. Because if people are not ready to receive the blessings of God, there might come a time when they are, but if they're not ready now, don't waste your time. He was specific. He said, go heal the sick, bring peace, cleanse lepers, raise the dead. So what's the will of God for us? If they're sick, heal them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're alone, comfort them. It is to love on people like Jesus loved on people. If you have the ability to bless someone and you're not doing it, you're not doing the will of God. If you have the ability to give someone your time and you choose not to do it, you are not doing the will of God. Jesus is saying, don't call me Lord and then disobey what I've told you to do in my word. Go pray for the sick. Give until it hurts. Find someone to bless. If you have food to spare, give it away. If you have enough food, share it. If you have two shirts, give one of them away. It's radical lifestyle. 
The trouble is, we live in the West in an individualistic society. Heaven is a collectivist society. We live in a society that says, so long as I'm okay, so long as I've made sure that I've provided for me and for my family, that's the most important thing. And then after that, if I can, I'll bless you. A collectivist society says, if you are going without, when I have something that you need, I am failing you. I am failing the society. The second part of that passage from Matthew where it says, people came and said, did we not prophesy in your name and dive out demons and perform many miracles? And I say, I never knew you. That's talking about religion. He's talking about people that had no active relationship with Jesus. He's saying, actually, if people that have got no active relationship, have, if they can understand the power that there is in the name of Jesus, even though they're not living in an active relationship with Jesus, those of us who know Jesus have no excuse. That's, that's what Jesus is actually saying. We can read that and just think, well, he's thinking about evil people. That, you know. That's not the point. You've got to read it in context. If you take a text out of context, you're left with a con. You can make scripture say anything you want it to say, in other words. Read the thing in context. Jesus is saying, those of you who know me, you've got no excuse. It's born out of relationship. Obedience in relationship to Jesus seals everything that is revealed in Scripture. Every promise in this book, every promise is sealed by your obedience. Think about that for a moment. Every promise in here is sealed by obedience. How was it that Joshua was able to lead the people of Israel to take the city of Jericho? By radical obedience. The Lord himself appeared, and we thought about this a few weeks ago, to Joshua as the, as the leader of the people of Israel was, was crying out to God, what do I do? The Lord appears and says, the first thing you do is you take your shoes off. Recognize that the presence of God is holy. Recognize the holiness of God. In other words, the first thing you do is you start in prayer and worship. Why are we not seeing all of the breakthroughs we wanted to see? When did you last go to a prayer meeting? Radical obedience commands the blessings of God. And Joshua was told, get on your face before the Lord. Take your sandals off. Recognize the holiness of God. Deal with your heart issues. Have a pure heart. And then in that place of waiting upon the Lord, in that place of divine encounter, in that place of worship, the revelation came of the strategy for breakthrough and it was stupid. It made no logical sense whatsoever. Well, here's the stronghold that's the biggest stronghold you've ever faced in your life. Here's the biggest military opponent you're ever going to face. Here's what you do. For six days, you walk around in silence once a day and then go back to bed. 
and you just have absolute peace about it. Pray in peace. And then on the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, you're going to sound the victory cry. And you're going to declare breakthrough. You're going to celebrate it. You're going to give glory to God. You're going to make as much noise as you possibly can so that everybody knows you are celebrating the provision of God, the breakthrough of God. You're celebrating it before it happens so that everybody knows. And you're going to look completely stupid if God doesn't come through. But you're going to do it anyway. That's called radical obedience. And nothing shifted in Jericho. Not a brick even wobbled in the wall until after they had demonstrated that level of obedience. After they started to shout the victory cry. After they got so excited and they declared breakthrough. And imagine for a moment you're inside the city. You're looking on. They would be ridiculing. Looking out, thinking... What a bunch of idiots. What are they celebrating? We're in our strong fortress. They're celebrating and they're saying God's victorious. God has provided for them. Look at the idiots. Oh, did you feel that? We do not have the luxury of retreating into what we are good at to avoid what he has called us to do. If I had chosen to retreat into what I was good at instead of what I was called to do, I never, ever would have become a preacher. I was such a shy young person in front of groups of people. I had no ability whatsoever to stand up in front of a group of people and speak. It was not a pretty sight. It was a horrible experience, both for me and for everybody else listening. I don't know what it's like for you now, but the Galatians 1.10 says, whose approval am I seeking? Do I seek the approval of man or of God? And if I seek the approval of man, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. I have my heavenly father's approval. I don't need yours. I mean, it's nice. Please don't misunderstand me. But we, we cannot retreat into what we're good at, into our safe place, if we're being called by God to do something. We need to invade the impossible and demonstrate his love. We need to invade the impossible and demonstrate his purity. We need to invade the impossible and demonstrate his power. I thought that was good. What's, what's the fruit of your life? Are you battling for others to possess the land? You might say, oh, what do you mean by that? Well, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they said to Moses, 
can see where you're going. Know where you're headed with this. Looks good. It's great for you. Very happy for you. And, and, and I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be with you. God bless them. I'm very happy just over here, by the way. I don't really want to go in there. There's giants in the land. I don't want to go in there. I don't, I don't want to be slaughtered, really. And, and I'm very happy where I am. If you read through chapter, chapter 7 through about 13, 14 of Joshua, you'll find that the Gadites and Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh were fighting alongside their brothers. Because what the Lord said to them through Moses and then through Joshua, you're very welcome to stay where you are. If you have come far enough on this journey, God bless you. Your job is to make sure you do not hinder the process of everybody else who's trying to take hold of the land. And in actual fact, your job is to help the rest of the family take hold of what God is calling them to take hold of. And if you don't like it, help everybody else take hold of it and then go settle back where you are comfortable and be blessed. But a biblical principle is you can go as far on this journey as you are comfortable doing. And when you reach a place where you say, I don't want to go any further, you will be blessed. And the family will say, we love you. And we're so glad that you've come this far with us. But we need your help so that we can go this bit further. You might say, you know, I know you're asking us to help. But I'm really, really old now. And I'm tired and I've served for 83 years. I was 49 last week. One of my children said, you are really, really old. That's, that's just beginning, 85. You're just starting out. Listen to this. Joshua 13, verse 1. When Joshua was old, I think it means over 49. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years... The Lord said to him, this is really nice, you are very old. And there's still very large areas of the land to be taken over. He did not say, slow down a bit. You're getting on a bit now. You've a rest. He did not say, Josh, it's time to retire. He said, look, I know you're getting old but I haven't seen you complete the job I gave you to, to complete. If you completed it, you'd be in heaven. What are you playing at? I'm paraphrasing. Get on with it. Don't give me any of this nonsense about the fact that you were on a rotor for 17 years. I don't care. Are there still people that need healing? Are there still demons that need crushing in the name of Jesus? Are there still people to be one for the kingdom? Then get on with it. You see, in churches, what we tend to do is we say one of two things. We either say, you're not old enough yet. When you get a bit older, then you can be on the welcome team. When you get a little bit older, then perhaps, just perhaps, 
You can put the chairs up. Those chairs are quite heavy. Maybe, maybe you need to take a back seat. You need to slow down a bit. You're a bit old now. Maybe, maybe now you're so old. Now, now you're over 49. It, it's time to just, you just come along on a Sunday and look pretty. And, and try not to get in the way. Churches say you're either too old or too young. Have you noticed that? When is that glorious moment where you're the right age? And then there must be a very short window of opportunity. I reckon, I reckon that I'm approaching it. Because there are still people, I, I was away at a weekend last weekend, speaking at church weekend. The number of people that were shocked at my age and they were saying, but you look so young, you're not old enough to have children. And I felt like, for goodness sake, I'm nearly 50. Stop telling me I'm too young. Just stop it. And I'm fairly sure that in the next few months, I'm near the top of the hill, and I think I'm just going to tumble over it. And suddenly I'm going to be too old. And I have this theory that the moment that you're the right age, it's a four minute long window of opportunity, and it happens when you're asleep. <laughs> We've got no excuses, what I'm trying to say. What is it God is calling us to? Let's take hold of our God-given identity. And, and one more thing as I come to close. God doesn't care about your past. God does not care about your past. Understand what I mean by that. Of course he cares about the fact you're hurting. but your past does not preclude you from God's future because he's a God of grace. A young man called David heard that the people of Israel were battling against the Philistines. And he went and he watched the battle and he saw all of the people that he'd looked up to, quite afraid of the spiritual army that was facing them, the spiritual attack that they were facing. So he went to the leader, he went to Saul, and he said, I can get rid of this giant. Goliath is, is nothing. I've fought bears and lions with my bare hands. There's nothing. And Saul said to him, okay, try not to laugh. You better put my armor on if you're going to go and face this enemy. So he put Saul's armor on him, and David couldn't even walk in it. It was just ill-fitting and too heavy for him. Don't try and walk in somebody else's anointing. It will not fit you. Don't try and walk in somebody else's calling. It will end badly. So David took off the armour and he said, you know what the Lord's equipped me with? Stones and a sling. And Saul looked at him because it didn't look like his gifting and he didn't understand it. But David said, trust me. And he goes out and he faces Goliath this huge opponent that just seemed too big, and with one stone, that giant Goliath was slayed. Hallelujah. He had four stones left. Goliath had a brother and three sons. A 
little bit later in his life, David is a successful king, the greatest king Israel has ever known. And he's, he's walking around on his palace roof, like you do, just knowing that the troops are out there risking their lives while he's wandering around on the palace roof. And he's a bit bored. And this beautiful woman catches his eye. And he sleeps with her. And he thinks he's got away with it till he discovers she's pregnant. So he decides that he will engineer the death of her husband. Adultery and murder are pretty high up on the list of no-nos. Would you agree with that? Listen to this. Who loves genealogies? <laughs> Not many of us. Some of the biblical genealogies, when you get to those bits, you skip over those, don't you, in your daily readings? Oh, we'll get to an interesting bit. Matthew chapter 1. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham's the father of Isaac, of Jacob, of Judah, of the Perez, of Sarah, of Terez, of Perah. And then we get down to Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Listen to this. David, greatest king, slew Goliath, fall into heinous sin. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So this woman that David had had an adultery with, whose husband he had killed, David married. And from that union, Solomon was born. And from that line, Jesus is descended. There's a prostitute in that lineage as well. God does not preclude you because of your past. If you are repentant as David was, then the past remains in the past and the future remains in the hands of God. Hallelujah. Nobody is precluded from this incredible adventure with Jesus. Nobody is excluded from the family unless they choose to walk away from it. But I believe in this season, God is calling us, friends, to radical obedience. It's time to take him and his word seriously. It's time, friends. It is time. Father, what is it that you are saying to us? What is our calling? What is it you would have us do as a church to take hold of the fullness of your promises? What is it, Father, you were saying to us as individuals? And Father, where we have settled for less than your best, where we have made excuses, Father, would you forgive us in the name of Jesus? where we've made excuses 
where the task has seemed just too hard, Father, would you forgive us? We do not want to shrink back from the command of Jesus. We want to live lives of radical obedience, of absolute purity of heart, that we might see the power of God released amongst us, in us, and through us to the world. That the reality of heaven might change the reality here on earth. We want to take hold of all of the fullness of your promises, Father. We want to be those who are extravagantly blessed that we might be an extravagant blessing. That we might live in the reality of what it means to be citizens of heaven. That others may be blessed and led to you. And that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.